From the studios of HOME, it's Nordic on Tap. I'm your host, Eric Stavney, for this Nordic on Tap podcast of life stories, folk tales, and music of the Nordic countries, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Sápmi, and the Faroe Islands, with contributions from folks west of the Atlantic as well. In the mid-1800s to about... 1930, the United States experienced several waves of immigration from the Scandinavian countries. Now, according to Wikipedia, they left their homeland due to political infighting, social upheaval, local wars, agricultural disasters, domineering state churches, corruption, and this growing gap between the rich and the poor. Sounds a little like these days. They landed on the east coast of the United States, many through Ellis Island, and made their way to the Great Plains states, uh, especially the Great Lakes states, including uh, Iowa, the Dakotas, Illinois, Oregon, Washington, and California. Some stayed on the east coast in Delaware and New York. Now, Wikipedia says that roughly... Two million Scandinavians immigrated to America, and these were composed largely of Swedes, about 62%, followed by Norwegians at about 33%, 15% Danes, and the rest were Icelanders and Finns. And like birds of a feather, the nationalities hung together to support each other, to speak in their home language, celebrate their music, religion, art, and culture. The important part of the glue that held immigrant Scandinavian communities together was the print media, journals, and newspapers that told of news back home, sometimes using actual articles from newspapers in the old country, as many of them do today, still. You could find articles in the old language, as well as uh, reports often in English on what was going on in America, in the state, in the immediate area. You'd find meeting announcements of fraternal societies and celebratory events of national holidays. So there were hundreds of emigrant newspapers, many originally devoted exclusively to articles completely in the old language. And as time went on, though, and children grew up learning English in school and hearing less of the country language at home, the periodicals were more in English. Scandinavians married other Scandinavians indeed, but eventually some chose to marry or get together with people outside their own nationality and interest in the old country was not enough to sustain subscriptions to a large number of emigrant newspapers. And so the periodicals of the different Scandinavian communities in the U.S. began to fold or merge with this dilution of interest, and as the first and second generation immigrants began to pass away. My own online research found only one remaining Icelandic newspaper, 
the Lurgberg Heims Kringle, um, I guess the Law Rock Circle of the World newspaper out of Winnipeg, Manitoba in Canada, the Swedish Nordstjernan, uh, North Star, out of New Canaan, Connecticut, the Danish Pioneer out of Hoffman Estates, Illinois, and the Finnish-American reporter out of Hancock, Michigan, based on the campus of Finlandia University. That's about all that's left of all those hundreds of immigrant newspapers. Now, I left out of the list the subject of today's podcast, The Norwegian-American, published in Seattle, Washington. It's also the last Norwegian newspaper standing, having started as the Washington Post, then merging with Norsk Tienda of Brooklyn, the Decora Post of Iowa, among others, and it changed its name to the Western Viking when I first heard of it. And finally, it became the Norwegian American Weekly in 2007, and then just the Norwegian American. Now, before I introduce... Now, before I introduce you to the editor of this newspaper, it's worth taking a moment to talk about today's immigrant newspapers and the role they play in society. First, I'm sure you're aware of the challenging times we live in, (laughs) hard to miss, and the difficulty of finding reputable, balanced reporting in the age of the Internet. The rise of the Internet has placed information of various quality immediately at our fingertips, and so print news sources have become less popular. Many of those news sources have gone online or to cable in order to survive, including radio and television news. So as a Danish-American or an Icelandic-American, where do you turn to get the facts, the local news, and the news from abroad? I submit this is one of the functions of Scandinavian-American newspapers. The second and perhaps most important value, in my eyes, of these newspapers is fostering the community and culture of Scandinavian-Americans, keeping us connected to each other to remind ourselves of museums and art exhibits and musical events, to foster communication between the Nordic countries and those in America. Events in the United States are mirrored in Scandinavia as well. And both sides of the Atlantic seek to learn from each other because we come from the same stock with the same values. And in fact, we're all part of humanity. I sat down with Lorianne Reinhall recently, who became the editor-in-chief of the Norwegian American News in 2019, to find out what type of experience and moxie it takes to keep a print periodical, which is also online, alive and surviving. Lorianne, if you want to, if you would start, I mean, you're from Seattle, I think, originally, is that right? Yes, I was born in Seattle. I'm, I'm one of the few natives that's still here, um, <laughs> minority. <laughs> and uh, I grew up here, that's where I got most of my schooling. And I think that that is uh, a critical element in my interest in uh, Nordic culture, because it's so strong and it's such a deep heritage in this area. I didn't grow up in Ballard, the traditionally Norwegian Scandinavian neighborhood, but very close by. Did I read somewhere that you either have a Swedish leanings or you heard Swedish in the house growing up? Well, um, I my grandmother was Swedish actually 
both of my mother's parents were Swedish immigrants and I did hear Swedish, but it, it was just, you know, words here and there, expressions, but I feel that she really immersed me in the culture somehow and perhaps my love for my grandmother really helped me develop a love for Sweden and she was an absolutely wonderful cook, oh. famous cook. <laughs> Um, it was, you know, always someone say, oh, your grandmother's meatballs or your, your grandmother's spritz cookies. And food is also a very important part of the culture. It connects you to people very quickly. And so is music, right? Yes, music. My mother was a music teacher. She taught piano. So I started playing piano when I was very young. And then, of course, being a Scandinavian American, I got an accordion strapped on me. <laughs> at a young age so I learned how to play the accordion and there their repertory tends to be quite Scandinavian in, in areas and my accordion teacher was was a Swedish immigrant too. Are we talking about the full-blown 120 chords stops accordion or something a little more manageable? Well as a little as a little kid they put a smaller one on you and then you graduate up to <laughs> a full-blown deal. A full-blood accordion would have been as big as I was. At the yeah, time. right. So have you kept that up? Still play accordion? Could I still have an accordion. I don't get to play as much as I like to, and I, I don't get to play piano as much as I like to, but they're there, and I do take them up when I can, and I've done a lot of singing in recent yes. years. Did you have fun. voice lessons or anything like that? Um, Very little. I studied voice for nine months when I w lived in Sweden, uh, I went to a folk high school outside of Gothenburg, mm -hmm. Sweden, and uh, that really kind of strengthened my Norwegian connection. My music teacher was from Norway, mm -hmm. and um, she was very, very proud of being a Norwegian. Uh, living in Sweden for most of her life. She, she had married a Swedish man and she discovered that I really liked to sing Edvard Grieg. And um, she said she never had a student who liked Grieg as much as I did. And I still like Grieg That's very so much. Mm -hmm. Grieg's hard to beat and that taps into the Bergen area as well. It's, it does. Yes, uh, Edvard Grieg was born in, in Bergen and still maybe their greatest export. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to the University of Washington after that year and finished my degree in Scandinavian languages and literature. I also have a master's degree from the University of Washington. So there was a strong emphasis on both Swedish and Norwegian languages and literature there. And of course, Danish as well. But my primary Scandinavian languages are Swedish and Norwegian. And that isn't the end of your college career, right? You have almost got to dissertation level at, what, UCLA? Right. I went out to uh, the University of California in Los Angeles and studied Germanic languages. After a big segue, I needed to take an exam in German for uh, my graduate degree. So I decided to fast track it and go over to Austria to take a summer course. And I ended up staying there for almost four years. So I became very, very fluent 
in German and got very interested in the German literature, which had a very strong impact on Scandinavian literature. So I felt that it was a very interesting and fruitful endeavor. And so I studied both German and Scandinavian languages at UCLA. Didn't quite make it to the dissertation. Um, Something came along. Towards the end of it, I got the opportunity to work on a project out at Microsoft. And I was just going to do it for a a couple of weeks. And um, that led to over a 20-year career in software localization. So that's how life works out sometimes. I didn't have time to, to write the dissertation during that. I was so busy. But it, it turned out to be a great career for me. So localization suggests working, well, I guess in this case, software to be pertinent to particular geographical areas, right? Correct. Um, sometimes people look at the user interface on their computer and they think, oh, it's been translated. And yes, it has been translated. That's an important element of software localization. But there's many more elements in adapting a product to a specific market. You have to determine whether all of the uh, parts of the product are appropriate for the market, Uh, time formats are different, so on and so forth. There may be things that are, are geopolitical issues. So the code behind it has to be adapted to every market. And it can get quite complex when it comes to some languages that are written uh, right to left instead of left to right, for example. And in the world we're living in right now, the geopolitical issues have come more and more to the forefront or product just may simply not be appropriate for another market. So it would be completely modified. There's things that are programmatic, like capitalization of titles, and they don't capitalize titles the same way we do in the Scandinavian languages, for example. So that programmatic capitalization would have to be turned off. And when the products get big, like Microsoft Word or Excel or MSN.com, boy, there's a lot of work to do. It was an interesting uh, profession for me because I was very interested in language, interested in foreign cultures, and also interested in in journalism and in writing and editing. And quite honestly, I think that's really what I wanted to do when I was a young person. I worked on the high school newspaper and thought I would become editor of the paper. And I had a journalism teacher and he was very good, but he said, you know, women really don't make good editors. They don't make it in the profession. And, you know, this was back in the early seventies and I was quite naive and I thought, oh, okay, well, I better do something else. So when very late in life, after I had retired from software, the opportunity to come and work on the Norwegian American newspaper came along. I thought, well, now I've gone the the full circle and I'm having a lot of fun as editor of the Norwegian American. Seems to me you you worked for them or were part of the staff uh, before you became editor. I started writing a bit with the newspaper uh, in conjunction with some of the work I'm doing in the community. I, a few years ago, I got involved in the 17th of May festival in Seattle at Bergen Place. Um, <laughs> someone didn't show up as the MC, and I said, well, you know, I, I can fill in and, and do this. 
So I kind of stepped in and introduced all the acts that afternoon. And then someone took note of that. And they said, well, can you come in to our meeting for the Seattle Bergen Sister City Association? You seem like you're interested in this and maybe someone who has some organizational skills. So that's how I got involved with the Sister Cities. And soon I was president of the association. And it's, it's a great organization. It's been around since 1956. It was founded by President Dwight D. Eisenhower after the Second World War. And he came back from war thinking, I I just don't want to see the world in this position again. And he thought if uh, local citizens could come together, that maybe they could come up with solutions and ideas to promote peace. And, and basically, it was a very simple idea. If every American had one friend in another country, we would see fewer conflicts. And, and it works. It really does. Uh, Seattle has 20 sister cities. And the first one was in Japan. Sister cities was very uh, instrumental in helping rebuild Japan. And then Bergen was added in 1967. Of course, in Ballard, we have Bergen Place park with the beautiful mural and so how would you isn't it's kind of an urban park with it's it's all paved right it is it's a triangular configuration and there's benches and i mean the real highlight of the whole experience is the mural which commemorates the immigration yes and there's some planters too right i mean it's not just a concrete jungle yes there's some planters and uh, the city maintains that the Parks Department, and the Friends of Bergen Place is another organization that raises money to maintain the mural. And the Seattle Bergen Sister City Association has worked with them on the plantings for 17th of May and special occasions. Well, it sure is central to Ballard. I mean, obviously the parade goes right by it, and it's almost a ground zero for Ballard. Right. I think it's really important to um, somehow have a place that marks the history of the Scandinavian community in Ballard. And of course, now we also have the Nordic Museum, the, the National Nordic Museum, which really pays tribute to our, the heritage there. Yeah, I'm glad we have those as Ballard continues to change, as, as all places change. Yeah. Yes, it certainly has changed a lot over my lifetime, as our whole city has. So you touched on, you know, your localization work at Microsoft, and I think there you've had some other positions elsewhere. What you uh, worked as a a project manager, at least for some of those. And I bring this up because in my own work, project managers, while (laughs) not everyone necessarily likes them, they accept that they're absolutely critical to making stuff happen. And I, I can see that that would be, those would be critical skills for running a newspaper. Yes, absolutely. And I was a project manager or a program manager all of those years. I worked for a vendor of Microsoft called Lionbridge, and it's basically getting all the pieces to fit together and getting everyone to do their part, testing it, having it tested at the right time and and releasing the product. And you're always operating on timelines. And this is very much what an editor does too. Mm -hmm. You you put all the um, 
the pieces together and you, you're operating under deadline. In the case of the Norwegian American, it's uh, two weeks per, uh, between each issue. And um, there's not much time to, to fool around. <laughs> but what's fun with the newspaper is, is the creative side of the paper, um, envisioning what content will go into each issue and working with a lot of great, to a large extent, volunteers, people who just write for the paper out of love of Norwegian and Nordic culture. And, and you're one of them, Eric. I am and, um, <laughs> Piecing this all together, sourcing the images, reading the newswire every morning to keep up with what's going on in contemporary Norway and working with the, the design editor to lay out the paper. And it's, uh, it's always something very enjoyable to do with every issue. And I, I have a great design editor, I have to say. And every issue I say, you know, I just, I love this issue. And I think it's my favorite. <laughs> and, and we feel that way every time we put it out. Well, it's, it's quite a masterpiece. And for those who are listening that don't know, that we're, we're not talking about something like a fraternal orders newsletter here. We're talking about uh, a, a, a color, largely in color newspaper, not as big as city full-size newspapers, but how many pages usually do you have in a typical issue? Well, we have a minimum of 24 pages, but most issues have 28 pages and going up to 40 pages for the special editions, which we have at Christmas time and uh, 17th of May, of course, Norwegian Constitution Day. And we have some other dedicated special issues throughout the year on special topics. So it seems like you, I think you've told me that you intend to have issues that are on certain themes to try to bring stuff together. Yes, uh, we have the Christmas issue, of course, the Yule which is a, a great tradition in Scandinavian culture, the old Christmas issues that focus on a lot of tradition, also how new Christmas traditions that are emerging and being modified. We had special issues on fashion, uh, for example, health and fitness. We usually put out a, a winter sports issue because who excels in winter sports? Uh, the Norwegians do. <laughs> <laughs> we barely can fit everything in that issue. We have summer recreation. We have a big travel issue, which is very popular. Fortunately, that came out before the coronavirus hit because Covering travel in the age of Corona has been a, a, a challenge. Yes. Um, Norway is, is still pretty much locked down uh, to tourists right now as, as we speak. And actually there's restrictions on where Norwegians can travel to right now. They can go to Denmark and the Swedish island of Gotland uh, up until at least August 20th. So that's that's a fun issue. And this past year, we looped in none other than Rick Steves, who is a America's travel guru who lives in Edmonds, Washington. And he's also a Norwegian American. So that was tremendous fun. Um, our next special issue is uh, summer recreation. So that's going to be ideas about how to spend time in the outdoors, exploring your Norwegian heritage closer to home since we can't 
travel there this summer and ideas for reading and streaming films and spending our time during the the time of the coronavirus in a way that will be enriching and enhancing. We have another special issue planned for um, the fall on art and architecture because Norway has become one of the world leaders in uh, innovative architecture. That's for sure. Yeah. Snuheta and uh, a lot of those uh, amazing firms. I I can't say I'm a huge fan of Norwegian minimalist <laughs> architecture, but I appreciate that it's it's cool. It's cool, and maybe even more importantly, it's it's very in sync with the environment these days. Uh, yes, been very innovative with energy solutions. Um, this past week, the new public library in Oslo opened up, and um, I'm disappointed that I won't get to, to see that. This summer, I had to cancel my plans to travel because of the coronavirus, but we will find someone to cover that event over in Oslo and, and share that information with us, and that will probably be the focus of our education issue that comes out in the fall. and That's also a fun issue that gives information about studying in Norway, exchange programs, scholarships, uh, ways to learn Norwegian, hmm. in, um, programs uh, to enhance your cultural knowledge. So lots of, lots of great things on the horizon. And I, I think that the interesting thing about publishing under the current circumstances with the lockdowns and not being able to travel, it's really brought out a lot of creativity in many people. I've attended a large amount of webinars the past couple of months put on by the Norwegian American Chamber of Commerce throughout the country and the various cultural institutions. And um, I'm impressed with what everyone is doing to support each other and share knowledge and keep business and culture alive during this time. Yeah, I've been amazed myself at the number of streaming concerts that have been available out of Norway and, and Denmark. There's no shortage of opportunities to listen to live music. There, there is no shortage, and there's a lot going on here as well in the Nordic community uh, across the country. We collaborated with some artists over in Hardanger for 17th of May to host a concert on our website, and it was it was it was pretty awesome. I have to say, I, I, I agree. I was there <laughs> as close as I could get to my computer monitor, but. Uh, yeah, that was that was truly amazing. And Inger Christina Reber, the uh, pianist and composer that put the whole program together, and Jaden Horve, the soprano who was featured, they are two artists that I came into contact through Sister Cities. So um, uh -huh. they've been in Seattle a few times performing and we uh, traveled in Norway with a string quartet that we formed over here to support them. And so it's just very interesting on how all these connections converge and result in fantastic projects. That's uh, one of the things I admire about you is that you have, uh, through your networking and your work on the paper and the Sister Cities Project, it's certainly fair to call you a promoter of Scandinavian and certainly Norwegian happenings around the world and i like how you've 
that that mix has enabled you to do more greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing. <laughs> well, I, I do enjoy it a lot. And um, I like to think of myself as a citizen diplomat. Um, <laughs> I, I think that cross-cultural experience really changes your life. It makes it better. And you look at new possibilities and think about how you can integrate them into your own life and share them with others. You know, it's an interesting thought. I, I used to, and I still am a big proponent of people going uh, outside of even their own city, but outside of the country to experience that because of what it does to your perspective and your viewpoint and I'll say your tolerance <laughs> and your understanding. And, you know, I thought, well, now is that just a kind of a, a wealthy person's view of what you ought to do to be well learned? But now we have this opportunity for people to travel virtually to other places and see these sites and listen to people talking in the vernacular. And that's a really neat opportunity that we, we kind of didn't have 20 years ago. That, that's right. And I think that's what Rick Steves has really been trying to do throughout his career is, of course, he thinks the best thing is getting over to, to Norway and uh, having a fresh waffle and cup of coffee and sitting down and talking to a local and having that one-on-one -on -one experience or going down to Italy and having a glass of wine and a, a hug or land, landing up at an Irish pub. But not everybody is able to do that. Not everyone can afford it. Not everyone has the time to do it, but we can do this virtually. And we can, we can have these webinars or Zoom conferences and, and actually see the people and talk to them. So I think this is what people are seeing with uh, the current situation, that there are different ways to connect to people that lead to something positive. Why don't I just close with asking you about this wonderful CD I have called Duo Scandinavica. You want to tell me how that arose? I, I just, I say that because you, you do appear in a few places where you're actually performing yourself. And I, I enjoy that. And you maybe I, you've spoken before about what kind of experience that was to make that CD. Want to say a few things about it? Yeah. When I was at the University of Washington in grad school, I shared an office with Jim Nelson, who is a very fine musician and also a scholar of Scandinavian literature. And we discovered that we both loved Scandinavian music and he had a guitar in the office and we would, uh, you know, take a break and sing a song together. And we used the, the music in our instruction as well. I was teaching Swedish at the time and he was teaching Norwegian and we visited each other's classes and performed. And this kind of led to us performing together and learning more about uh, traditional folk music. And Jim ended up taking a job up in Camrose, uh, Canada after he graduated with his PhD. And he was there for many years and then he, he went on to live in Norway for, I think, 18 years teaching, teaching music. And of course, his knowledge of the repertory became even stronger during that time. And just by chance, I think about 10 years ago, a close friend of ours, one of our former professors called up and he said, you got to come over, Jim's 
Nelson's here. We'll have coffee. And, um, I said, yeah, great. And so I, I did have coffee with Jim and Lars Varma, this good friend. And we got to talking about everything we've been doing. And I said, you know, Jim, I think you need to make a, a CD. You need to get this stuff uh, recorded for posterity. And you've got a son and he's going to want to have something to remember all of your accomplishments with. And so that was the sort of the seed to the whole project. And as it evolved, I got looped into the, the recording too. We thought, well, why not? We need two voices on some of these songs. And we decided to put together a program that told the immigrant experience. So the music, it starts out with the music that they knew when they were in Scandinavia, some folk tunes, and then the music that they brought with them on their journey, some sea shanty type music, and then the music they formed here in America, and then later the music that they started bringing over here from Scandinavia once they started traveling back and forth. And then that's that's kind of the involvement of the story. It's the, the immigrant experience. Yeah, you do include some of the, the classics. Ole Bull, uh, <laughs> and Hills from Um I love those. And I really got into translating lyrics with that CD. Um, it's a challenge. Um, translating poetry is, is not easy because there's many elements that go into it. And when you're singing it, of course, it has to match the meter properly. It ideally should have the same elements of rhyme somehow, but the, the language doesn't always want to cooperate. So you have to be very creative doing that. Yeah, I, I've tried some of that and I have not been successful, but I, I do enjoy what you've done with the, on the, on the CD because it sounds very natural. You know, Thank you do you. Yeah. alternate verses sometimes, right? One in the vernacular and one in English. Right. Sometimes people need to to understand the text to really enjoy the song, but at the same time, we think that the original language is so beautiful. And that has to be heard as well. Do you have any particular cut or song from that album that you have a story about or you enjoyed the most? Well, I like them all. I, I think maybe my favorite song is Bondom's Hemet, Bondom's Yemet and Norwegian. It's a, a song about an immigrant who is at the end of his life and is looking back on everything that he left back in Sweden or it could be Norway or wherever with with a lot of nostalgia and there's a lot of melancholia in the song leaving his parents the young woman that he he loved and feeling um like was it worth it okay. Und so belohnt er dödens kallerika. Jag står ensam kvar och världen syns mig tom. Och jag lätter hem och gripper vandringsstaven. Men mitt lyckoland är enda sen skymär. Nej, herr Jutta. Skal jag bädas ner i graven Långt från hemmet 
och från dem jag hade kär. And then another song I really like is Kanti Glemma Gamlendorge. Um, Helga Freeman, this music teacher I had in Sweden uh, who was teaching me Edvard Grieg, she always said, you know, do you know the song Kanti Glemma Gamlendorge? <laughs> And I said, no, no, I don't know it. And so she taught it to me. So I, I always associate that song with her. And I, I was so fond of Helga. I went back to celebrate her 100th birthday with her. And I just, I can't hear that song or sing that song without thinking about how much I loved this person. And, and, and Learn to love Norway through her as well. Can du glemme gamle Norge? Aldrig heide glemme kan. Som med stolte klippe borgen er å bli mitt fødeland. Som med stolte klippe borgen er å bli Anything else that you'd like people to know about yourself and what you do and how we can support the paper and the organizations you work for? Well, of course, the paper does live off subscriptions and I want everybody to subscribe to the paper. I, I, I hope everyone would enjoy it that subscribes. And you know, there's a lot going on in our communities across the entire country. There's so many people giving of themselves as volunteers. And right now we're at home for the most part and all of the organizations need support. So donating to them is it's helpful, of course, but if you can't donate, you know, make sure that you support the programs. And sometimes it's easy to sit home and say, oh, I'll just turn on a movie or something. But it's important to get out there and be amongst each other because we share so much that makes our lives better. And everyone who's involved really appreciates coming together with other people. And it's going to be wonderful when we can come together in person again. I, I, I can't wait. And I do think what everyone's doing is, is really positive because we wouldn't be doing it otherwise. I think our heritage connects us to some ideals that are very, very um, important. And we don't want to forget them. And we also want to, to bring them forward into the future. Thank you, Laurieann. You can get Lorianne and Jim's album, Duo Scandinavica, Scandinavica, Scandinavica Online, at that big online retailer, among others. There's a large number of other great songs on this CD chronicling the American Scandinavian immigrant experience. So it's, it's well worth uh, hearing the rest of the many songs they have there. I'd like to invite you to tell us more of what you like at nordicontap at gmail.com. I want to thank Beth of Bothell, Washington, who wrote to tell me of the Swedish harpist Erik Ask-Upmark, who I hope to interview someday on this program. Thanks also to those of you who have listened and offered your thoughts about past programs, especially the one on Nordic folktales. That turned out to be very popular. 
We're currently interviewing a man who built a Scandinavian log storage house known as a Stabur in Montana. And we're putting together a virtual field trip to the Gol Stave Church in the Norsk Folkemuseum in Oslo, among other ideas. Our introductory theme song was composed and performed by Daryl Jackson, who was the subject of our last podcast. Be sure to listen to that show. And catch Daryl's work at daryljacksonmusic.com. That's all one word, D-A-R-R-Y-L, Jackson, J-A-C-K-S-O-N, music.com. That's our show. Till nästa gång. Till next time on Nordic on Tap. Be safe.